Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. We can all exhale. It's over, y'all. He gone, y'all. He gone. I want to have a moment of silence for all the strippers in the city. I think he thinks he's deeper than he is. If you don't want to be here, then why continue to stay here? You can run from us, but you can't run from yourself. You can't run from yourself. Hard to figure out black was swimming, so he decided to go to the net. You hurt my feelings. I want out. A coach and a quarterback goes hand in hand. They just go together. If I beat you twice, it's probably because I'm better than you. Man, you chuckled at me like you like, ha, 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 yeah, right. <laughs> yay, yay, yay. Oh. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two. And once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh! Mama, there goes that man. You ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad to be back with you guys. So glad that you have joined me again. And if this is your first time listening, welcome aboard and become a part of this community that is growing exponentially each and every episode. So we're going to get started. I'm going to give you a rundown of what we have coming up. But first, let me tell you about a couple of ways that you can be interactive with the show. First and foremost, you can go to the WadesWordProductions.com website. That's WadesWordProductions. And uh, check out all things D-Wade. You can check out the Friday Express. You can check out Kick issue Sports Talk, Sports Talk with Devin Wade, other things we're involved with. And you can subscribe to the email list and get periodic emails from us. So you can do all of that. Listen to past episodes at wadeswordproductions.com. In addition to that, I have set up a 24 hour a day phone line, which we'll be using this episode. It's the sports line, 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. You can call with questions, comments, uh, critiques, uh, request if you want me to talk about a team, uh, whatever your opinions are. And I know with so much happening in the world of sports, you have an opinion. And this is the way for now that we can be as interactive as possible so we can get to hear your voice. Then, you know, I get feedback from what you guys say. People come to me and say, well, I, I like when the caller said this or it was really funny when the caller said that. But you can be that caller. 832-941-6614 on social media, on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group and the fan page. But the group is much more interactive. So the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group on Facebook is a great way to be interactive and get all sorts of drops and info and posts from folks from all over who uh, post things constantly on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook. I, I post poll questions, so you'll get a chance to uh, answer those and comment on those. Uh, but that's a great way to be interactive and get to know other folks who listen to the show. And, of course, on Twitter at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. Now, what we have new, if you want to make a contribution, if you like what you hear and you want to help, you can actually be my boss. Do you want to employ me? 
not quite, but you can make a financial contribution to support the podcast because there are, uh, it takes an effort, a big effort to make sure that we provide the quality and the amount of content we want to provide and have already provided. Uh, we need your help and your support. Go to LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-P-A-Y, all one word, LiberaPay, and look for Sports Talk with Devin Wade, and you can make a, a modest contribution, and I have something coming up uh, as it pertains to Labir Pay a little bit later on. Well, coming up this time out, you know, it's not always just sports for me. I feel a responsibility to get information out or to seek information on my behalf and yours. And with that in mind, my cousin, he's been on the show before. He's a cardiologist, Alex Ossian. He will be on the show to answer. He's been on before to talk about COVID this time. He's had the vaccine. He's had both of the vaccines. He's going to talk about that and other things related to COVID that you may or may not know. But it's a trusted source because that's that's family. So if I trust him, I would. I'm telling. I trust his opinion. And of course, he's a super super intelligent guy, and uh, he wouldn't steer me wrong. And he's already had the vaccine, so we'll get his thoughts on that. Now, on the sports side of things, we have some headlines coming up for you. Going to get into a few of the things happening in and around mostly Houston sports, but we'll delve into a few other things as well. Then we have a We the People segment. That's when I check that sports line I just got through talking about and see what questions and comments you guys have on the sports line. And we will check into some poll results from some questions I asked you guys uh, on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook. We have a soapbox. I'll climb aboard my soapbox and I have some, and this one is a good one, I think. I think it will be a good one. And then we will hear from uh, Dr. Alex Alcyon and we'll have a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode and before I let go. So all that's coming up. So with that, let's get into some headlines. In headlines, a lot going on in the world of baseball. George Springer leaves the Houston Astros. Man, we knew it. We had Enos Cabell, who's a special advisor to the owner and the GM for the Houston Astros. Enos Cabell pretty much said that they thought that they would probably lose George Springer if the money got too high. So we kind of knew that this was going to happen, but it's still... It's bittersweet in that how can you feel anything but gratitude for what this guy did for the Astros? He was about that life in the postseason, and he got it done, and he's the MVP of the 2017 World Series. In just every postseason, he played big. He did his thing. He gave us all he could give us, and Houston loved him for it, and I'm sure he loves Houston, but hey, man, a hundred and what was his deal, $150 million? in Toronto, and that puts him closer to where he grew up on the East Coast. So, I mean, hey, Toronto's going to have a hell of an offensive lineup, but all is not bad. All has not been lost by the Astros as they did re-sign Michael Brantley. Early reports, and this is a, a few things Twitter has gotten wrong. I can think of the death of Maurice White of Earth, Wind & Fire. He wasn't dead. It's usually around celebrity deaths. 
that you said, okay, they were wrong. But a few other things have been wrong. They were wrong. Jeff Passan, I think, was one of the ones that were wrong, who basically said that this deal was a done deal and Brantley was going to join George Springer in Toronto. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. Brantley signs a two-year deal, and that solidifies some things in the middle of that lineup. Look, you still have Altuve, despite having a just horrendous, horrendous defensive ALCS. He still did his thing offensively, but he's still a former MVP. He's that dude. He's still Jose Altuve, and I, I suspect that he has worked hard to correct whatever he was going through, the, the Steve Sachs syndrome that he had, uh, or the Chuck Knoblog syndrome that he had. I think he'll be fine, but he's there. Alex Bregman. You have Carlos Correa. Those young arms, if those young arms are able to replicate some of the things that they did in the abbreviated season, well, really in the postseason, Astros are going to be okay. They're going to be okay. Add to that, you'll get Lance McCullers healthier and and even better than he was before returning from a major surgery. And uh, Jordan Alvarez, he'll be back. And you have some young bats. So, uh, again, I know probably we were dormant on baseball for many, many years. Not me, but specifically on KTSU Sports Talk. And even here, we haven't talked as much baseball traditionally as we have football and basketball. I mean, because basketball, by the way, has done a tremendous job of marketing itself and staying in the headlines in the offseason. The free agent watch and where's LeBron going to go and what about Kawhi Leonard and Anthony? All of these things have been moving parts that have consumed a lot of oxygen in the world of sports over the past couple of even NBA offseasons. Not to mention the seasons, but the offseasons. So we hadn't got into baseball as much as we like but that that has changed over the last two years and even more so going into next year so and all is not lost for the houston Astros. but thank you george springer for your service in bringing our city my city hey a world series championship and i don't give a damn what they say about trash can gate or whatever they want to call it spy gate whatever they want to call it i don't give a damn we did it. We. I put and I say this and I qualify this. Anytime I say we, it's only after a Houston team has won a championship. Now I know as a journalist, it's not a we. I don't work for the organization. I'm not a member of the team. But you have to allow me this liberty to say if a Houston team, like the 94-95 Houston Rockets, 93-94, 94-95 Houston Rockets, I'm gonna always say we. Because I was, inv- we, we, I, we did that. We were emotionally invested in that. So it's always a we when you win a championship. So it goes with the Houston Astros. Now, we win championships. They lose them. <laughs> so with that, the other big news is uh, what is going to happen with Deshaun Watson? It's not getting better, y'all. It's not getting better. Now, they have, the Texans have interviewed Eric Bieniemy. Good news for them. And he might be the guy to get the job. This is his last chance. 0 for 6 so far in coaching vacancies as pretty much all other vacancies have been filled with the exception of Philadelphia. But I think they know who their guy is. They haven't made it official. The Detroit Lions hired a coach, and I I don't know where they get this guy. This guy. If we were watching the game – 
his Neanderthal point of view would really appeal to me. And actually kind of still does, but this, that's not the world we live in. And, and I feel, I feel in my spirit, a Lamont award coming for this guy. And I'll talk more about him later, uh, later this week. <laughs> and we will get into some, I think we will have an addition prior to Sunday's games. So look for a Saturday podcast as well, where I'll get one of the fellas and we'll break down the NFC championship and the AFC championship games. And uh, look, Pat Mahomes, look, if, if he's healthy, they're going to win. And if he's not, they're going to lose. It's simple as that. <laughs> and how healthy he is, how he progresses through concussion protocol is going to be tell the tale in that one. Green Bay, Tampa Bay. I'm taking Green Bay. I'm sort of stepping on my own little preview here. Uh, but how I feel today, I feel as though uh, Green Bay will win that game. But we'll break that down. I think we will have a Saturday edition prior to Championship Sunday in the NFL. But back to Deshaun. Deshaun continues to be cryptic in what he says on Twitter, and it's not looking good. But Eric B. Enemy did not get any other job. He may get this job, and it's a difficult situation for both parties because if you're the Texans, you've screwed this up so bad. You have hired a GM that nobody wanted. You will not fire Jack Easterby, which everybody wants. And you hired Nick Casario from New England. So here's the problem for the Houston Texans. Here's, this is where the problem lies. If you hire a GM, the GM is going to want to hire his coach. If the GM has a coach he wants to hire and it's not the coach that Deshaun Watson wants, then there is a power struggle right there. So if you're the new GM, do you acquiesce and say, hey, uh, Deshaun Watson, we will give you what you want. And all of a sudden, now he has the power. Now, for me, on a, as an outsider, I'm like, hell yeah. I don't know what Nick Casario can do. I know what Deshaun Watson can do. I don't know who Nick Casario is. I know who Deshaun Watson is. So as an outsider, of course I want the star quarterback who's proven himself, despite not having a lot of assistance, despite having a, a sausage. My dad used to say this all the time. Oh, he's a sausage back. When you just talk about just a run-of-the-mill running back. He's, you know, you, have a, a, you had a sausage coach in Bill O'Brien. And still Deshaun Watson rose above all of those impediments, losing a DeAndre Hopkins to lead the NFL in passing. This dude, he's the truth. So he deserves... A lot of say so, especially when you told him that. So if you do that, Nick Casario all of a sudden has no power as a GM. Now he's not gonna like that. So let's see who wins this battle. If you hire Eric B. Enemy, Nick Casario better sell it. He better sell it like, oh man, I love this guy too. I see what Deshaun was talking about. But if he doesn't want Eric B. Enemy, and if he hires another coach other than Eric B. Enemy, I mean, I think it's over anyway, but Eric Bieniemy is the sort of the that's the marriage counseling in this situation. But if you don't get Eric Bieniemy, it's over. You can go to any other kind of counseling you want, but it's delaying the inevitable. You know it's over. All that's left now is to sign the paperwork and divide your property. It's over, Texans. 
Get him out of here. And I want him out of here for his sake, not for mine. I'm a native Houstonian. I would love for the Texans organization to get it right, to get their thing together and turn. And I thought, okay, Bob McNair dies. And I, no one wishes death on anybody, but it happened. He died. And you think, okay, well, maybe we'll see a shift with Cal McNair. Cal McNair reminds me of the son of Jackie Gleason in Smokey and the Bandit. Jun- was it Junior? I, I, don't, I, don't, I only vaguely remember. I remember the movie vividly, but I, I think either he was in, I think he was in Smokey and the Bandit too. He might have been in the first one. I don't know. But I just remember that character, and that's what Cal McNair reminds me of. He's extremely incompetent to this point. And there's no reason to believe that this organization is going to get any better under this leadership. So that being said, even as a native Houstonian who roots, who wants to root for his his hometown teams, he uh, he needs to go for him his sake. So uh, you know, you get New York involved and New York media now act like a deal is done with the Jets. Miami, you keep hearing. So we'll see. But unless you hire Eric Bieniemy, he's your Iyala Van Zant. He can fix your life. <laughs> you want you want Iyala to fix your life? Hire Eric Bieniemy. If you don't, they're gonna be a lot of fan, a lot of African American fans are done with y'all anyway. I mean, but because of all of the stuff that's happened, I won't document it again. But there's a lot of stuff, and a lot of the bros in town are not feeling the Houston Texans. A lot are, but a lot aren't. DeAndre Hopkins, Dwayne Brown, just things that have happened in that organization. I'll skip all that, but I'll say this. Be enemy or bust for the Houston Texans. So we'll keep an eye out on that situation. In the NFL, may have seen the last game for Drew Brees. Definitely have seen the last game in the career of Phillip Rivers. So big, big retirements from uh, the NFL and that's something that we will get into probably next episode and uh, there's one more thing I wanted to mention the passing of Ted Thompson former Houston Oiler and the general manager for the Green Bay Packers did a lot of good for Green Bay and uh, he was a, a, a love your blue oiler so we have to show him love there and uh, the other thing I think for the 1981 season Don Sutton pitched for the Houston Astros but forever known in my mind, as a uh, Los Angeles Dodger, he passes away at the age of 75. Just wanted to recognize Don Sutton and, I mean, just a tremendously uh, lengthy career in baseball. And he pitched for the Astros. So, yeah, yeah, one year we were really, really rooting for Don Sutton. But enough from me. What about you? What do you guys have to say? For more content, go to WaysWordProductions.com. Time for We the People. In the We the People segment, we do a couple of things. We run down poll results from questions I post on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page. And uh, we check those results and see what you guys have to say about that. And we check the sports line, the 24-hour-a-day sports line, 832-941-6614, and take your phone calls and comments and answer any questions uh, or comment on your comments. And we'll be doing both of those this time out. But let's start with the poll questions. I asked you guys about the James Harden trade to the Brooklyn Nets, and I asked you guys who was the trade 
the best for? Was it the Houston Rockets? Was it for all parties involved? Was it for James Harden? Or was it for the Brooklyn Nets? Now, 54.5% of you said the Houston Rockets. And I see that because I think the Rockets got the best of the deal. Now, I mean, Harden has looked incredible. <laughs> He's looked great in his stint with the Nets so far. And that kind of stings a little bit in the present. And the Rockets have dropped a couple of games. They haven't been able to win a lot. So it kind of stings a little bit. But right now, uh, for the long term, I think that uh, I agree with you guys. 54.5% of you said the Houston Rockets. 18.1% uh, said all parties. Everybody won. And it could be one of those rare trades where everybody wins. I think if the Brooklyn Nets go on to win a championship or have some success like they haven't had in years, I think they'll say, hey, it's worth it. And we get to make another run next year with this same group. Uh, I said, I think from that standpoint, they win. I think the Rockets win for what they got. And the, uh, the other parties involved, Harden. Harden, I think Harden wins. 13.6% of you guys said James Harden, and 136 of you guys said the Brooklyn Nets. So I, I tend to, if I had to vote, I would vote for the Houston Rockets uh, because I don't think Brooklyn will sustain this success. And I think that with all of those personalities, it may be for nothing, but not so far because so far they play really, really well and they look really good, although they lost last night in overtime. Uh, but all parties, I think, are going to benefit to some extent. And again, Brooklyn is now a really – I mean, they were with Durant and Kyrie, but now you have the Lakers looking over their shoulder, at least uh, sort of the NBA establishment sort of says that the Lakers are looking over their shoulders at Brooklyn and Milwaukee and all, everybody's looking over their shoulder uh, with the addition of James Harden. The next thing I asked you guys, and really probably mostly Houston fans uh, answered this, but I asked you guys, do you want to see Deshaun Watson leave the Texans? And there are multiple reasons why someone would vote one way or another. Like for me, I think I would like to see him leave because I have no faith that this organization will get it right. And I think for a lot of people voting in this poll, they probably think the same thing. Also, if you have another favorite team, <laughs> you might want to see him leave Houston for that reason. But 53% of you said, no, we don't want to see Deshaun Watson leave. And I get it because you have a guy, and I can go back on YouTube. I posted, I was at the draft uh, central for the, the Texans. I was at the Texans facility the night that Deshaun was drafted, and I went Facebook Live, and uh, it was just really exciting. I'm like, they got this one right. I was really excited. So it's hard to look around and say, man, it's time for this guy to go. But if you really uh, love and appreciate his talent, you have to say, man, what is best for the NFL? What's best for that guy? He's a good, good guy. What's be best for that guy? He's not a diva. He's not doing what Harden has done. He was quiet for a long, long time. He endured a lot and made the best of it. Now he's growing up in the league. He's maturing. And he said, no, you know, it's time for me to go. And you want that guy to be successful because he's a good dude. He's been good in the community, and uh, you want to see him win. But 47% of you guys said, yes, you want him to leave. And I think I suspect that many people want him to leave because, yeah, 
they want him to go on and have success. The final question I asked you guys revolved around comments made by uh, NBA analyst Charles Barkley on Inside the NBA on TNT. And he and Kenny and Shaq and Ernie, they were all together. And Charles said this. He basically said, and I'm probably going to do a bad job of paraphrasing, but he basically said, and he knew that this would anger some people and upset some people. He said that uh, NBA players and the NBA should make a large charitable contribution, come up with a big amount of money and funnel it somewhere positive for the right to move ahead of a lot of folks and get the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. So essentially he's saying that because these guys pay so much in taxes that they should be able with 3 million vaccines out there, maybe just get a thousand of those. So the NBA season can continue. And that's for all the players, coaches, and staff, a thousand, a thousand out of 3 million. He said, because these guys pay so much in taxes, they should move up. Now, I'm going to give you my comments, but let's see what you guys voted on. Should NBA players be allowed to skip the line? And I'm saying skip the line. I phrase it a little bit different, but should they be allowed to move up in the pecking order to get a vaccine? 87.5% of you guys said no, and 12.5% of you guys said yes. Now, I've heard arguments that made some sense, but they're overshadowed by the reality. And we had this discussion on KTSU Sports Talk on Saturday, and Ralph Cooper brought up some interesting points. He said, basically, you can bring in how much they pay in taxes. That's the argument. It's also, he, Ralph talked about how it's good for ancillary, the ancillary economy and the ancillary income of all the folks at stadiums and bars surrounding those stadiums, even those who only let a few people in. You have to have support staff, and those people make money when fans are allowed to come to games. So you talk about, for lack of a better term, ticket takers and concession stand people. And and I know that they've dramatically changed how those things are done, but you're still going to have hot dogs and beer at these games, even if it's for – 3,000 people as opposed to, you know, 18,000. So, you know, that was a, a, a point. And, of course, the tax stuff is a point. But it, it you're talking about the healthiest people in our society. These are world-class athletes. Hell no, they shouldn't move up in the line. And what I said on the show, I'll say again. I'm not going to let Madea die so James Harden can get a shot. Because he wants to go to the strip club and he can't stay in his room and self-isolate. I'm not doing that. I'm not letting Auntie risk it all and lose her life because Lemon Pepper Lou want to go to the strip club and get him some some wet flats. <laughs> you know, no, we're not doing that. Stay in your room or go to a bubble. Do what you have to do. And the uh, it's a slippery slope. If you talk about how much somebody pays in taxes, Again, you are equating someone's wealth with their worth, and that is not good for any society anywhere. So only the rich people who pay a lot of taxes. I tell you this, Jeff Bezos, he would he would be at the end of the line since Amazon doesn't pay any taxes. And I know that he pays, I'm sure, personal income tax, but Amazon doesn't pay any any 
taxes annually. And so um, I say all of that to say, no, you cannot do this. And I know that and now this was the finesse job that Adam Silver tried to say. Well, hey, when we're thinking about maybe, you know, our guys being, you know, for the African-American community who are apprehensive about taking a vaccine, these guys are role models. Hey, if they do it, if Kevin Durant does it, little Jimmy Joe in the hood, he'll get his vaccine. That is some bull. And I'm not letting the smooth taste fool me. You're not going to finesse me into thinking something like this. But let's go to the phone lines. Let's see what you guys have to say about anything. Hey, Devin, it's Melissa. I saw you had a couple of comments and polls in the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group. And I thought I'd call in. Um, one of them was to, I think, NBA players or probably any professional sport player should jump ahead of the line that they have to get vaccinations. And my answer is no. I agree with what you said Saturday morning. They can't get ahead of Medea, grandma, mama, whoever. No, no, and no. They have to wait their turn just like everybody else. The other thing that you wanted to comment on was Deshaun Watson. And I do not understand what the Texans are doing or not doing, why they aren't doing more to make sure to ensure in every shape, form, or fashion that they keep him there with the Texans. It's it's nerve-wracking. And according to things that I'm reading on the Internet, it seems like he may not be there. He may be leaving. Um, which the fans do not want. But if Cal McNair or whoever saying, we like him, we love him, we want him with the team, my mama like him, then you need to be doing more to keep him here, whatever it takes, at almost all costs. Anyway, have a great day. Thanks, Melissa, for the phone call. Always appreciate hearing from her. And I think, you know, if you want this thing to to go right, yes, the team should be doing every single thing, but it never should have gotten to this point, especially when you talk about the advisory committee that they assembled with Andre Johnson and Jimmy Johnson and Tony Dungy and others, and then the outside consulting firm you hired. Neither of those groups suggested Nick Casario was your choice, and you knew that Deshaun White and wanted to be in on that conversation. So I think this is more probably about Jack Eastery. I, I really do because some things are going on. Andre Johnson talked about that. It's something not right about that, and we have no idea what that's about. Who's next? Hey, what's going on, Devin? This is Purnell. I think that um, as far as Deshaun Watson is concerned, for him, I would like to see him go if he is in a better situation. Because I don't think that just with the direction that uh, the ownership and the management is trying to go, I don't think they're really trying to put something together in his prime form that's going to really lead to anywhere. So I'm just hoping that if it works out for him that way, that would be great. If they have an intention on actually doing the right thing and building around him, that would be great too. But honestly, I think trends don't don't dictate that they're going to do that. So for him, I would like to see him go because I think he's a great, he's a great player. Uh, as far as Harden is concerned, whether it was a good trade all around, I mean, honestly, only, only time will tell. It'll only be a good trade for Harden if they end up winning the championship. It'll only be a good, ring, a good um, trade for the Rockets if they end up being able to 
build a team based upon the picks that they have, and only time will tell with that too. So it's, it'll be interesting to see, see what happens. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Pernell, for calling. Man, I'll tell you what, that's my guy. I want to say more. I can't say more right now, but uh, Pernell, we really appreciate you and really appreciate you taking our time to call. And I think even though both callers so far have wanted uh, different things, they agree on the problem, that the organization is the problem and everybody wants what's best for Deshaun. And no one believes that the organization will do right by him, uh, or at least uh, they haven't to this point, and they need to ASAP, according to Melissa, and me too. If, if they do it, then yeah, we can fix this thing and move forward and really accomplish something as an organization. But no one, I don't think, has a whole lot of confidence that Cal McNair and company will do that. What's next? What's going on, Devin and the Sports Talk crew? This is Kervin Tillich, man. I was calling about the Deshaun uh, Watson situation. I think it'd be horrible if he leaves. Uh, he's been great for the city up until that horrible trade of Hopkins. The team was definitely on the up and up and going places. So at the end of the day, though, man, I think he's great for the city. Um, it's easy to see why Dabo called him uh, a Jordan-type player. I just hope he stays. But the Texans are proving to be a very inept franchise. And at the end of the day, it's just going to be bad for the city. Thanks, Kervin. I think that's his first time calling us. Please don't make it your last. And, and you know, this speaks to something that I, you know, Kevin Allen always talks about, the Silver Fox. Oh, man, Houston fans, they are, they're passive. No, the Houston sports fan is knowledgeable, and they're not happy. What I keep saying all the time is when they're not happy, they're just going to chunk them a deuce, and they have other things to do in this city. They're not going to sit there and continue to support organizations that have not committed to them as a fan base and not committed to winning. So there's there's that. We've seen like once the Astros committed to winning and started winning, yeah, of course, the fans uh, come out in droves. I mean, you see a fanaticism you don't see a lot of other places. This is a great sports town, but for the foolishness, uh, we are not for, and we will not support it with our dollars or, more importantly, a lot of our energy and attention. So with that, going to take a time out, come back on the other side, going to climb on my soapbox, and then we're going to have a very important conversation about the COVID-19 vaccine with Dr. Alex Ossian. This is the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast anywhere you you get your podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. Be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams.
Welcome back, our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy on the mix. That's Bad Bad Man. You can check him out on IG, on Instagram. You can check him out on Twitch. Uh, I, I, he's in the Twitch world. I don't know how Twitch twitching works, but that's a thing, and he's on that thing. You guys know more than I do about that. And you can check him out on SoundCloud and wherever he can safely perform around the city of houston dj anarchy but if you yes you have music you'd like played on the podcast if you're a fledgling artist or if you're a dj and or if someone in your family is in a rock band whatever the scenario is whatever the situation is hit us up music at wadeswordproductions.com that's music at wadeswordproductions.com we'll play a snippet at the halfway point and an entire track or an extended portion of a mix at the end of the program before i get on my soapbox want to uh, run out a couple of headlines i mean there's so many things happening in the world of sports tiger woods back surgery uh not as major as some of the others as one of the others this is similar to other uh, surgeries he's had, but he'll be out for a while. And I probably would not look to see him playing in the Masters. But did you see him over the holidays with his son in the father-son sort of uh, uh, father-child deal that they played? Uh, one of these deals that they play uh, in between tour stops, you know, like at the end, after the tour championship and the start of the next year or whatever. Um, but anyway, it's uncanny how Tiger and his son shared just every little mannerism. It's, it was unbelievable. Uh, I posted that clip somewhere, and, I mean, you'd have to search search, uh, search for that so you can see the comparisons between the two. It's just unreal how, uh, I mean, I guess it's understandable. That's his son. But, man, just every single mannerism uh, he emulates or just inherently does <laughs> just like his dad so also Dwayne Haskins who we have given the blues to maybe Mike Tomlin can salvage something of his career now when you're talking about addressing the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback situation or making sure you have depth I'm not sure that this is what they were talking about but Mike Tomlin nonetheless probably wants to make sure he learns about being a professional and if he can turn it around maybe Mike Tomlin one of the better coaches in the NFL, underrated. He catches a lot of grief for not being able to beat New England, but not many teams do. Uh, and uh, this year was a very disappointing year, but he made something uh, of a team with a quarterback that wasn't very good anymore. Couldn't throw the deep ball. Receivers dropped a bunch of stuff. Defenses started sort of hanging around around the, the box and, and not really having to worry about defending the deep ball. So they punished everything underneath, crowded that area. Uh, it just wasn't a good deal down the stretch. They lost four out of five with Ben Roethlisberger, and uh, they haven't been able to uh, – I mean, you thought after that great start they would make a run at the Super Bowl. They haven't been able to run the football, not getting what you need from a quarterback. If you can run the football and get what you got out of Ben, maybe a different story. But uh, they signed Dwayne Haskins after uh, – I mean, what do the the, uh, the Pittsburgh strip clubs look like? We don't know. And uh, my, Mark Ingram, the third cut from Baltimore, that ends a nice little run – uh, in his for his career at uh, in Baltimore, and uh, we'll have to see where he lands if he lands anywhere. With that, I am briefly going to climb aboard my soapbox.
When we are together, we got power. And now it's time to get on the soapbox. Trying to blow up my soapbox usually means I am venting and ranting about something. But this time, I feel good. Yesterday was inauguration day. We have a new president. It's a better day and evil has been banished from our capital. If only. And there's several more people who need to go. But just in the moment, it felt good to celebrate a new day in this country. We... Uh, we've not done a lot right, and this this has been a horrible, horrible period in American history. But I will say this: I love America, and and a lot of people I know won't admit to that. Don't feel that they they're not with me on that. They won't ride with me on that. But if you believe in the aspirational nature of what we are, you gotta have to have that hope. That we're working towards something better. It's not going as quickly as we want. We've taken several steps back in a lot of different areas. But at our essence, I really believe that most of us, not all, we saw a lot of folks two weeks ago who aren't like this. But at our core, the collective core of America, I think we want to be all inclusive and want to aspire to a more perfect union. And yesterday was a reminder of that. Just the beauty and the pageantry and the diversity from Kamala Harris to Amanda Gorman to uh, Lady Gaga and J-Lo singing in Spanish, all of those things. Uh, we aspire to be uh, a more perfect union. And I know that being patriotic has been hijacked by those who use it for more sinister purposes. But at the end of the day, I look at America like we look at our families. There are people in your family you can't get along with. There are people that are in your family that may embarrass you. There are people in your family that you may not want to know where you live. But they're your family. And that's how I feel about America. We, we are screwed up. And I have to remind myself. I had, got, had a little mix up. Almost it got a little ugly with a with a guy from another country who kept saying, Oh, in my country we would never and this country is this and I'm like I took that for a minute and after a little bit I'm like, Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out for that. You need to chill. Look, <laughs> I don't know, you know, wherever you're from, you're here for a reason. You came here to go to school, you came here to make a better life for yourself. So I'm uncomfortable with you talking about my country. And that's the same, we, we feel the same about our families. Somebody, you may say something about your family, and if somebody down the street says it, you're ready to throw hands. But we have to make this thing better. With COVID, with uh, police misconduct, systemic racism, we can do this. We can do this, and we can aspire to make this thing better. So I'm happy. I'm happy. I hope you are happy. I really do. Because now we have an adult and someone that is not a psychotic in the White House. And we're going to get a handle on COVID and try to get this thing uh, get this thing going again and getting some people some help that they need. Speaking of COVID, right now I want to transition to a conversation I had with my cousin, Dr. Alex Osion. He is a general cardiologist. And I've practiced this. He is also 
the director of the Cardiology Fellowship Training Program at the University of Illinois at Chicago College of Medicine. So let me say this about Alex. Now, we, I just got through talking about family, and I'm, I'm trying really, really hard to not be the obnoxious cousin in this situation because I can tell you this. I utilize him more than he knows, and I pull him like a weapon. Whenever I go to the doctor, if I feel that I'm not getting uh, optimal medical care, if I'm not getting the best care possible, I am quick to let them know or quick to question them with this question. Would my cousin, general cardiologist, Dr. Alex Ossian, agree with what you're doing here? Would he prescribe the same antibiotic? I'm just making sure. Because if I need to, I can call my cousin, Dr. Alex Ossian, general cardiologist and the director of the Cardiology Fellowship Training Program at the University of Chicago at Illinois College of Medicine. I talk about Alex more than he knows, probably uncomfortably so in a lot of different settings. We do have a lawyer in the family, Eva. I don't utilize her as much. Maybe I need to start. Maybe I need to call Vicky and start using Eva like I use Alex's name. I'm trying really, really hard, and I try really, really hard not to bother him because I knew he got the vaccine, and I knew this because his wife, my first cousin, had uh, posted it on Instagram. He, Because he's on the front lines, he got both doses of the vaccine, and we talk about that and other issues related to COVID. Here was our conversation with Dr. Alex Ossian on uh, COVID and a number of other things. Joined now by my cousin, Dr. Alex Ossian. He is practicing in Chicago, and he's already had his vaccine. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Here in Chicago. Well, yeah, that's what, six months out of the year, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I ask how you're doing because it's really important that I know how you're doing because you are the only person that I personally know that has had both vaccines, the first shot and the second shot of the COVID vaccine. So again, how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling great. Um, I did get the second dose uh, at work just this past Monday. Uh, so all went real well. So for the past several months, you have been on the front lines treating COVID patients, battling this pandemic. What have you seen up close that the general public hadn't had access to? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and it's something that you, it feels like I will see and read about and, you know, in many ways, there's a whole other world um, that isn't aware of what hospitals are dealing with. Um, so personally, what we've seen here in Chicago, the normal, I just came out of working in the ICU just Friday, um, a couple of days ago. And the normal amount of patients that we have in the hospital, even for heart conditions, is around 10 or 12. This past week, we had 25 and I know that we still have uh, double the ICU number of patients in the hospital. And I also know that routinely patients who had heart problems who were wanting to get transferred to the university, they were often in line behind 10 to 20 patients around Chicagoland that were trying to get transferred in. So um, hospitals are under extreme stress. And, uh, and are running really thin on resources and on just uh, people's energy and 
it's it's a time where hospitals under uh, are under a lot of stress that may may not make it out into the news. Um, we had uh, even four members of our team had to be out because of either COVID exposure or actual COVID um, the week the month before I came onto the service. So uh, it's still out there. It's still as active as ever. So what have you seen in the evolution of this illness since March? Like, has it changed? Obviously, people's behaviors have changed in various ways in various parts of the country. A lot of those having to do with their political ideology. Uh, But in general, how have you seen things change from March until now with everything from the treatment to uh, what kind of patients you're seeing? Sure. Um, so, you know, the one thing that I'd say uh, that was different about the springtime, just for me personally, was back then, gosh, it was so scary. We didn't, we really didn't know anything. We didn't know about how much to um, mask and protect ourselves. We didn't know about washing off surfaces. We didn't know at home about, you know, wiping down groceries. We weren't sure if there was uh, what the transmission was going to be like aside from what seemed to be like aerosol or airborne transmission. We didn't know much about treatment or management. We didn't know if we should put people on ventilators really early if they didn't seem like they were doing well. Um, so all, all that stuff has changed a lot. And it may be just that, you know, we kind of had to adapt and so sort of the anxiety got better. But um, I think we know a lot more about... Um, Wearing masks, wearing masks and face shields if you're seeing a patient, being careful about choosing when to wear N95s in the hospital, um, isolating patients in real specific ways that are organized in the hospital. We have ways we can test people now that you could rapidly find out in the same day. And so um, things like that make a major difference. And then there's, there's some treatments uh, with some steroids in the remdesivir that you heard about earlier uh, in the year. Those are available to us and we use them. They're not, you know, they're not a panacea and they're certainly not curative. They're really for managing patients who are sickest. So a lot of those things have changed. The kinds of patients I see, I have, um, as a heart specialist, I have some COVID positive patients that I've taken care of. Um, and they've routinely done okay. I haven't taken care of the, some of the patients that my ICU partners have, which have had severe problems um, coming into the hospital. So, you know, the, the feel we have about taking care of patients and, and also the need to kind of shut down the whole hospital like we did in the springtime, uh, we've realized that we can do it, do more selective uh, management of patients, more selective monitoring uh, and that's that. I think that's made a difference and allowed us to kind of keep working. But you know, it, it's still coming. Well, let me ask you this: um, What treatments have worked the most in reducing the mortality rate from March and April until now? Yeah, I think the remdesivir and dexamethasone, the, the steroid, are, are the two that are known to reduce mortality. Uh, the one thing that's also changed. Um, from earlier is uh, the early intubation and using a ventilator strategy that people were doing a lot when oxygen levels were running low. You know, you you heard a lot about people um, being turned over when they're on a ventilator to uh, 
a prone position where they're on their stomach. And we found out that if you do that, even with patients who are just on oxygen alone, that that can make a big difference. You know, the, the reason we do that is because there's you have more lung tissue in the back. The lungs are shaped a little bit like a wedge. They're wider in the back than in the front. And if you turn people over, gravity will kind of pool fluids and secretions and things in the front of the lungs and open up more space in the back. That's where that prone flipping came from, that concept. But uh, in terms of treatment, it's the same ones you've read and heard about, but I think we're smarter about uh, how to manage things and how to support patients and give them time. But it, you know, when people get really sick, uh, to the point where they need um, ventilators and dialysis and all the things that uh, that you may have heard about earlier in the year. You know, it, it, it's the prognosis for them is still still pretty grim. So it it, it we we still haven't made um, major um, incremental improvements beyond kind of what you've heard about earlier in the year. You said something earlier about when to use an N95 mask. Is that just sort of in a hospital setting? What did you mean by that one? Yeah, sure. So whenever a physician or nurse or any kind of healthcare professional goes in to see a patient who has known COVID at at the university where I work, uh, and I'm sure it's pretty universal across all hospitals, wearing a fitted N95 mask uh, that can filter out um, virus-sized particles, and also a face shield is really necessary, along with like a gown, gloves. So for someone who actually has COVID or suspected COVID, that's pretty universal. Um, there are also these things called PAPRs, which are, uh, that's P-A-P-R, which are almost like a hazmat suit hood that has a little ventilation system that's kind of tight around your neck and contains your your head on the inside of kind of a space helmet. Those are used because they're quite reusable. And if people are in and out of a lot of rooms, you don't want to discard a lot of N95s and face shields and things like that over and over again. But in terms of, uh, you know, the general public and your listeners, everyone should really wear a cloth mask at the very least. Uh, and there's, you know, some evidence that paper masks that people can get a little more easily now than they could in the springtime, like a surgical mask, may be a little more effective. But really, you know, cloth is better than nothing. And and there's also, you know, some of the – every time I watch a sporting event and I see some of the um, – uh, team members with those uh, like neck gaiters, you know, kind of pulled up almost like a turtleneck over the nose. Right. Those, those are a lot more porous, even if uh, people are wearing those quite a bit. Those are more porous, I think, than than a cloth face mask or um, or a paper mask for sure. You interact with patients. You talk to patients. What are you hearing from them? How are they contracting the disease at this point? Are they still folks that didn't mask or they took precautions? I mean, what are you hearing anecdotally about um, how they are getting it and what your patients' backgrounds are as it pertains to interacting with this illness? Yeah, that's a great question Uh, because I think all of us would probably reflect back on what we do day to day and kind of wonder, you know, are there things that are are there weak spots in our um, routine? Are we letting our guard down or those kind of things? And I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know enough. I think the people that I see are just, you know, regular everyday people from the community that often cannot, with some exceptions with people having a family member at home who had it and they just, you know, the isolation from one another was imperfect, or maybe they were asymptomatic and they just didn't know to watch out for it. 
but uh, the ability to judge what a common method of passing it from one person to another is to be able to pinpoint where it came from, really hard to do, uh, which is why so often you hear just those simple wash hands, separate as much as you physically can, as often as you physically can, and wear a mask whenever you're around anyone else. I mean, that, in the end, those three things make the difference, even if we even if we hypothetically knew how some of these cases are getting around like they are in the community. In the end, those are going to be the things you've got to do. I want to ask you about the city of Chicago. How have they fared? What does that arc of the illness look like? I mean, I know there was a big surge in the spring. Did the pattern of contraction sort of mimic what we saw around the nation? Or what's different about Chicago uh, than other places around the country? Uh, sure. That's uh, yeah, good question. I think that we've seen a similar uh, large surge that the rest of the country has seen. And the severity that some of the southern states have seen at one form or one time or another, or even uh, like Los Angeles now or New York in the spring, we have not seen anything specifically as bad as L.A. right now, which uh, if you read the news, is is severe and a similar version to what New York experienced in terms of hospitals being overwhelmed and ambulances not having anywhere to take sick patients and healthcare workers being uh, really worked to the to extreme levels of you know fatigue and burnout. We've seen uh, a less pronounced version of that in Chicagoland, um, but we do know that it's it, it's never let up. So we're still on the high end of the curve. Um, and I, I do know that uh, the vaccine rollout and the awareness and the governmental uh, planning with the Illinois Department of Public Health has has been in large part uh, successful and as transparent as it could be compared to the federal response and maybe some other states that uh, have had more problems with um, politically charged shortcomings or uh, you know meddling or interference or for lack of a better for better word but you know Chicago continues to have high numbers and there's no sign that they're going to change a lot but we the good part is I think Chicago leads has led the country in terms of number of people vaccinated thus far with their uh, rollout which is a real benefit I'm very grateful that we have that here. So that gives me the perfect opportunity uh, to transition to asking you specifically about the vaccine. So let's talk a little bit about you personally getting it, because I want people to know a lot of people obviously are afraid for various reasons or apprehensive or suspicious. All of those things as it pertains to getting the vaccine when available. So you had it. And obviously, as a uh, doctor on the front lines, you guys were among the first to get it. Talk a little bit about just the actual process, what what did, uh, did that look like for you? And then what are some of the sort of the side effects, if any, that you've uh, suffered from uh, taking the vaccine? Sure. Yeah, the, uh, the university put together a plan to try to prioritize people who were most face-to-face -face with COVID patients on a regular basis, which I, I think is the right one. So they tiered uh, the people that should get their two vaccines into groups. And the uh, uh, the first group was one that I was in, along with um, 
nurses and other therapists and healthcare workers and even the trainees in the hospital who spend a lot of their time face-to-face with COVID patients. So I got my first shot in December, the week of Christmas, and I got my second shot this past week. Uh, It felt just like a flu shot in terms of uh, getting it done. It's a shot in the shoulder. I was sore, maybe one and a half times more sore than a flu shot, which is gone in a day. And I felt great with the first one, no issues. And I felt good with the second one. I felt a little more sore the second time. And I had kind of a restless night um, sleeping because of it. I I know that a a couple of my friends or partners felt that they had some chills or maybe even bordering on a fever for a day and took some Tylenol and, and it was gone. So I know of no severe reactions personally, and even out in the literature, there's uh, a real tiny, rare um, instance of any kind of true allergic reactions. The, um, the CDC also has you sign up for an app on your phone that, uh, that texts you each day for the first uh, week or two, and it asks how you're feeling and if you've had to call in sick from side effects or anything like that. So they're acquiring data to make sure that they know how people are doing also. So are they acquiring um, more data than, say, your regular, I mean, slow, a traditionally rolled out vaccine of some sort? Because I know the numbers, I think, will appear higher of side effects and all of those things, but they're also monitoring the COVID vaccine closer than probably any other vaccine ever. I mean, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think the, the the hope is that, and the aspiration is, is exactly that. And they're capturing data, um, but, you know, the in sync with how the federal government has all but, you know, punted the responsibility of this to the states, uh, federal reporting has tons of gaps in it, and it's really up to individualized states reporting. And as such, in doing so, it's kind of a patchwork that's inconsistent about how they break down ages, uh, races, or ethnicities, um, where uh, other demographics of patients. So I think we're going to see with the new administration, much like uh, everything else related to the pandemic, we're going to see an improvement in uh, federal capturing of data about vaccine and in addition to a better planned rollout. Explain to folks the need for two vaccines, for two uh, shots, uh, because a lot of people don't really kind of understand or they just have a casual knowledge of, they know that they have to take two shots at three weeks apart, but why? Can you explain to, to folks why? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and that may be another reason why it feels unusual or unprecedented, you know, um, in addition to kind of the speed of development. And the they studied them uh, earlier in the year, as everyone kind of read about. But really, the the first dose doesn't get you the immunity that you get until you get a re-challenge the second time. And it may be the challenge is the wrong word, but the uh, uh, the immune response you get is amplified to get you kind of the optimal immunity within a week or two weeks of the second dose. So they were studied that way uh, for a reason. If you got a single dose, you won't get uh, you won't get enough of immune response for the vaccine to be as effective as it could be. So the the second dose may be a little unusual from what we're used to, but it it really provides great coverage. You know, I, I was going back through and reading some of the um, 
available information. And there's a great piece in the New York Times today, actually, about um, about the vaccines. And it it really talks about how the if success of the vaccines and the safety of the vaccines has, has almost been underreported because of um, people wanting to just be cautious and safe. But the, the success of the vaccines in terms of the immune response they produce and the uh, uh, the effectiveness is almost understated to the point where where people um, may not realize it. So that you know, we're these, not hearing the good news, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, they tested uh, both the uh, Pfizer and Moderna in over 30,000 people, and only a single person got severe COVID in the entire 32,000 people uh, that were in that study. Which vaccine did you take? I took the Pfizer Okay, and then there, there are two others. There's Moderna, and is is there a third yet available? Do we we uh, do we know that? Oh, I know we're on the verge of that. Is that happening yet? Yeah, that's the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, and it's of a similar model. I, I think it's it hasn't been fully uh, released or approved yet, but I, I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Are these like uh, car brands? Like, okay, yeah, there's the the Porsche of or the Lamborghini of vaccines, and then you have the the Hyundai of vaccines. I mean, is is there? I mean, what is the difference between the vaccines that, that you know about? Oh, uh, that that's a great question. I think they're all similar. I, they're all um, all three are a new category of vaccine, different from any other kind of vaccine that we've ever had before they're a, an mrna vaccine and mrna is is uh it's a sort of of dna so the vaccines are a totally new category a totally new type and they're they're all they're all similar to one another the three Okay, so let me ask you about, uh, and, and I know we can go on. I, I don't want to prolong it too much longer, but I do want to ask you, what are they telling you now that you've had both? I mean, and obviously in a work environment, you're still going to mask up and use all your protective gear. How do you feel like going out to the grocery store, to the movies, or the, to dinner now that you've had both of those vaccines? Yeah, I don't know how I feel yet. Uh <laughs> You know, I, I, I'm certainly confident and I'm proud. And I'm very grateful to be one of the people who uh, w- was prioritized to get it early. Uh, and I hope it, 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 I hope it helps protect all of us uh, in addition to what we're still doing with masks and, you know, hand washing and all the things we've talked about. Uh, you, but the, are you still masking up? I mean, obviously, oh, I, I mean, sure. I know, I mean, I would imagine as a doctor, you have an abundance of, of, of caution. So, but, but in general, right. uh, are they telling folks, hey, still do everything that you were doing before, but this is just an added layer of protection or, hey, two vaccines, no mask needed. <laughs> yeah, no, we're not quite there. We're not quite there. But, and I, and I think it, it, the odds are pretty good that we're going to have to, uh, as a society, we're going to have to use masks and and keep some version of separate when we can for a lot of this year. The this, the amount of people that have to get vaccinated is really going to have to grow exponentially for the host of the virus to start petering out, you know, for available hosts for the virus. Uh, but... Yeah, I. It's hard to know what like work will be like in 2022 for me at the hospital. You know, we may. I've read and and thought about uh, some comments that people have said. You know, they when they think back about how they used to work in the hospital, rarely with gloves, 
or masks. And I think about, you know, when I was a kid going to the dentist and they would use bare hands, you know, it, it, it may be that we're as doctors or nurses um, or other healthcare workers in the hospital, we, we may wear masks seeing patients for a long time. You know, we may, we ne- may never go back. But uh, obviously outside in regular life, I think it's, there's an expectation that it's good, we're going to have to keep doing this for quite a while until the pool of people who uh, can get the vaccine at the highest risk can. But, you know, it'll take a long time to reach down into the lower priority group. So I, if anything, I want to be, you know, a role model and I want to not feel... Um, uh, well, I want to feel I'll, I'll have some confidence, but I it, doing my part is wearing a mask um, for the for for some time, just uh, if even as a role model, but still just in case I'm happy to do it. A couple it's more easy. things, a couple more things I want to ask you about. Uh, do we know? Uh, I know they don't really know, but do they think this is going to become an annual thing, having to get sort of your booster shot, or is this a one-time deal and maybe that'll give you the sort of immunity uh, that you'll need for years to come? Yeah, great question. I don't know if we know that yet. We know. I, okay. You know, all of us are familiar with um, the, the two comparative models that, people have talked about in some of the papers and things that I read. Number one is measles, and measles is a virus that has been pretty stagnant for a while uh, in terms of any kind of variants or mutations or evolution. So the, the shot you get for measles lasts for quite some time, whereas the flu is always bouncing around in so many different forms that the flu shot every year has to make a guess and prediction about what's going to be active in, you know, fall, winter before everyone goes out and gets it. It's unclear where this is going to fall because it's new onto the map. So people who who know this well will watch and watch and learn and react and, and we'll find out. Let me uh, ask you about myocarditis. And we saw the athlete from Florida, Keontae Johnson, uh, collapse and fall out. He had COVID earlier in the year, recovered fine. And then he had some complications that they think may have stemmed from him having COVID. What have you heard about uh, myocarditis, not just in that particular case, but in any of uh, any athletes, any young people, uh, anybody that's had COVID and then developed the, the inflammation around the heart? Yeah, this was the big fear we talked about the last time. This was what um, prompted the, the Big Ten and Pac-12 to initially um, postpone their seasons and then that was kind of recalibrated with a little more information and time. And I think the Florida's probably tried to strike a balance back when this happened um, a couple of months ago, I think, uh, maybe December, um, between the amount of health information that they can sort of acknowledge uh, while still maintaining privacy, but also for people to understand you know, what it means for that athlete and other athletes in that same position to think about what they're going to do or think about uh, administrators or coaches um, with this happening. Because it's so prominent, you know, a Division One player on camera having a passing out spell that was uh, at least associated with, with COVID earlier. Um, but I, I don't know the full details about the timing or what any kind of testing might have shown. But 
clearly, you know, sports have been active at the college and professional level uh, for a while now. And they've got, there's a lot to be said about uh, what they, the choices that all the leagues have made, um, the imperfect nature of the way they approached it, even some of the hygiene theater, for lack of a better word, about some of the protocols uh, and the money involved that put undue pressure on the choices that, that have, people have felt they had to make. But it, I think it, it appears to have turned out to be less of a worry um, for, for high-profile athletes at these levels to have uh, this you know, there's been so many games now, and this is kind of one example that was prominent. Uh, so I don't want to read too much into it as a, a sign of what might be happening off camera. And there's been a, plenty of athletes that have been out that have come back, um, probably mirroring the um, large amount of people who get this and do okay. But they're, you know, it's still unknown about the people who got this, but have had a, a more quiet but still devastating effect on their health. You know, there's the, the, the long haulers that are out there in the world that are non-athletes that have had serious trouble feeling well after a relatively mild or even severe case. Uh, there are athletes out there that we're probably not hearing about who have had a, a less um, impressive version, but maybe a still um, majorly problematic uh, version of post-COVID life uh, with their health. Final question, and this is more of a sort of a medical ethics question, and this is something that has come up on my local show. The, in the NBA, Charles Barkley came out and said, hey, obviously we've seen more disruptions in basketball. So we, we've seen um, more postponements and sort of a clampdown on some of the freedoms that they want the the players to exercise during COVID. They want them to sort of you know, stay more locked down than they, they have to this point. But he said that maybe, well, he didn't say maybe. He says, in his opinion, he thinks that the NBA should come up with a, a large charitable contribution and sort of skip the line and get a, about a thousand vaccines. To me, on the surface, it, it's a no-brainer that that is a bad idea. What are your thoughts? And this is just your opinion on a situation. I mean, on one hand, they serve as role models, but on the other hand, they're the healthiest group. Uh, you know, of any the high-performing world-class athletes. What are your general thoughts on that question? Yeah, I had, I had heard about that, and I can understand. I mean, this is um, Sir Charles's uh, kind of position is um, to voice these kind of opinions. That's why he's on air, and and these these sort of things will come up from time to time. So I can see why it gets a lot of attention. You know, I I really want the people who are at most risk, uh, and uh, uh, people who um, are trying to care for the patients that uh, have this, um, I want them to get the vaccine. Uh, I, I think that's the right thing, I should say. Maybe that's better phrased. And, you know, this this goes against that. So I don't, I don't agree with what he had to say. Uh, I do know that um, there can be some good that um, these powerful sports leagues can um, can do in in this situation, the pandemic, you know, some of the work done and the development of the COVID testing that was put together for the NBA bubble earlier in the year, you know, that advanced our ability to um, to test the development of that uh, of, of that community based tests. Um, I think helped us. I think uh, some of the community 
testing that that's uh, more available and out there might have come as an offshoot to the NBA really pushing to develop that. And so, and and in the same way, the uh, some of the summer protests about social injustice that were so prominent and made their way through the NBA. I, I think that you know there are ways to encourage messaging uh, for people to uh, adopt practices like we talked about. You know, washing hands, wearing masks, trying to be physically distant as much as you can from in, within your community. I think the NBA could do probably more good if they adopted uh, ways to voice that and reinforce that than something like what he advocates. But I, I mean, I can understand him posing it, but I, I disagree with it. I think it's not the right thing to do. I think the right thing to do is. To to get it to the people who need it the most to take care of the COVID patients and also the people who are at the highest risk, older patients, patients who are in long-term care facilities, etc. Well, what about your Chicago Bears? I mean, that's not so, I mean, it's sort of a, a lukewarm situation for you guys. You're good enough to get to the playoffs, but nobody thought you ever had a chance to advance. How tough is it to be a Chicago Bears fan these days? Uh, you know, it, it <laughs> it's almost lost in some of the things we've been talking about so much especially lately you know um i've been so busy at work my keeping up has been mostly through kind of some glancing at blogs or some podcast stuff you know i've been more of a browns fan uh this past year growing up in ohio i was always that and in fact i i spent a little time this morning uh just through a twitter link watching uh Buffalo and uh, Browns game from way back in the day, back when I was a kid um, on YouTube this morning. I actually watched that more than I uh, thought about the Bears. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. They've kind of been just good enough, not good enough to, to be forced to change, and but not good enough to really um, keep advancing. It's frustrating. Yeah, well, the Browns had their chances yesterday. I mean, they had every opportunity. I think Stefanski kind of uh, he kind of blinked when he called those timeouts. He had an early challenge and a, a timeout in the fourth quarter, and I think both of those would have come in handy later in the game, and I think that that, uh, that put a lot more pressure. That would have dictated what decisions Kansas City made. So I, they had their shot yesterday, and they just yeah. couldn't get it done after Mahomes left that game. But uh, I guess they uh, have brighter days ahead of them. Not so much uh, for the Bears. We don't know yet. So, But, hey, I want to thank you, and I want to tell you this. I have shown tremendous restraint because I wanted to call you every single day since I saw on uh, Instagram that you had gotten your vaccine, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to call you day by day to sort of check on your progress. But like I said, uh, I really appreciate the information, and hopefully we can help some people make the prudent decision and the safe decision and the right decision to get these vaccines. Yeah, you bet. I I appreciate the call. I appreciate the good thoughts, and um, yeah, I'm I'm very grateful to uh, to be part of the. Um, group who got the first vaccine and I, I would encourage everyone to, to think about it and recognize these are safe they're exceedingly effective they're probably one of the most effective vaccines ever developed and uh, I think it'll uh, that together with um, being safe and doing all the things we know that that's going to make a difference and then with uh, with inauguration and kind of a new federal plan I think that's going to keep growing our um, our expectations of success. So I, I, I look forward to uh, talking more in the future and and talking about some of the uh, the great things that we're seeing happening with the pandemic uh, getting better and easing and um, 
and people trying to uh, get back to seeing their loved ones and getting back to work in the way that they need to. Hey, well, we certainly appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Have a great day. For more content, go to WaveWordProductions.com. Enjoyed our conversation with the doctor. And if you have questions for him, hit me up or call us on the sports line or hit us up on social media and I'll be sure to pass along any questions you may have, any follow-ups, anything uh, within reason. Because, <laughs> again, I don't want to be the obnoxious cousin. Uh, anything else, uh, just let me know and uh, we'll try to get questions answered uh, from Dr. Alex Ossian. But interesting and important information to learn at this point. Since we've run a little long, no Lamont Award this time. Instead, we're going to get out of here. But before I let go. Before I let go, hey, want to thank you guys for tuning in. Want to thank Dr. Alex Asian. Want to thank our sponsor, Cobank Homes, our resident DJ, DJ Anarchy. Want to thank you guys, all of you guys who took time out to call us and uh, leave a message on the sports line. And one reminder, WadesworthProductions.com, the sports line. You can call us 24 hours a day on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group page on Facebook. And on Libera Pay, you can hit us up if you want to make a contribution. And all you have to do is look me up Devin Wade or Sports Talk with Devin Wade and they'll take you from there Liberapay L-I-B-E-R-P-A-Y and as always remember these four things number one I don't do no favors after six o'clock in the evening two I ain't got no money three I'm not harboring any fugitives from justice and four bye <laughs> this has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast remember you can follow him on Twitter at Wade's Word. Thank you for listening.